BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Guys, I'm so excited about today's episode because you all love, love this creator. And I feel honored that she has become a friend of mine over the past, I guess, like two years. We kind of talk about this, like, trying to figure out the timing. But today we are joined by the one and only Lucy Fink. Lucy is so many things. Good Lord, this woman wears so many fucking hats. You probably follow her on social media already at Lucy B. Fink. She is a prominent YouTuber and lifestyle influencer. Prior to going off on her own, she worked at Refinery29, which we talk a lot about like her career history, her past, how she got to where she is today. And she's most notably known for the series she did that was called Try Living with Lucy, where she took on social experiments for five days at a time. Some things like, I mean, eating pizza for five days only, like going without her phone for five days. Stuff that I'm kind of like, did you ever get sick of doing this shit? We dive into a lot about work stuff and then also motherhood, postpartum, Being in this industry, she gave birth exactly six months after me, and I am blessed to call her a friend, especially in all things motherhood over the past year and a half plus, and I really hope you guys enjoy this episode because I had so much fun recording it, and I know that there are a lot of crossover between our communities, so without further ado, here is Lucy. Come on in, take a seat, pour a drink, pass one. There's so much we can dive into and we were even discussing stuff offline being like, okay, we can save that. We can go back to it. I'm really curious to kick it off. Like the way that you run your business is really inspiring to me and like feels very, I don't know if elevated is the word, but you're not a typical influencer in my opinion. You have like a full fucking production company. (laughs) No, like legit. And similarly, you were just saying how you love editing these movies and you spend hours. That is foreign to me just because it's not (laughs) what I do. So I'm curious, like what lights you up the most about your work? From the start of my life. Okay, not the start of my life. Going back to when I was maybe three. Okay. I have family movies where my dad's filming and I'm screaming, being like, I want to film. Can I take the camera? And even all my childhood videos, I just watched them this weekend. It's my my parents are saying, you know, we're going to play this as a movie for grandma when we get home. Say hi to grandma. And I always thought of it as 
film. Mm -hmm. And then once I got a little bit older, I started taking control of the camera and actually making content. Like I, I was making commercials actually for products around the house, how to brush your teeth using this Phillips toothbrush. Here's how to make the perfect peanut butter and jelly. I wish I could find this footage. I I remember it, but I don't absolutely need to. I know it would be in my treasure trove, but I can't find it. And I'm, I probably can't play it if I found it because it's a VHS or something. And I always loved that. Truly always loved it. That translated into me being in the drama club and being the president of my high school's drama club that translated to in college, me being the president of my acapella group and performing. Okay. And Where'd you go to college? Johns Hopkins. My okay. senior solo was called Remarkable Vagina. Uh, here and for it. It, was, it was actually a Taryn Souther song that's no longer on YouTube, but it's about a woman who shoved drugs up her vagina and okay. then was busted by the cops. Got it. And they pulled everything out. <laughs> but that's kind of what I reveled in in college and was always performing. I absolutely would not have chosen at that point to be like, I'll just start a YouTube channel. I wanted to work for a company. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to get a job as a behind the scenes producer at Ogilvy. And I remember saying to myself, if the on-camera opportunity presents itself, I will take it, but I'm not seeking it at this time. Of course, once I got to Ogilvy, all I ever talked about to everyone I met was that I wanted to be on camera. And I took every opportunity I could to do something on camera for the company, just internally. Like mm-hmm. I was hosting some content that was being sent around to Glo- Ogilvy, like global, right. North America, whatever, internal emails. And I made a video, it's actually still on YouTube, I think, that was just make, introducing people to the CEO of Ogilvy and made their North America and showing him in a fun light, playing with me, because at the time I kind of started as an intern before becoming mm-hmm. a producer. And I was just always talking to people about wanting to be on camera. And that networking was very useful because I met a woman we had a meeting. I treated it like a job interview, although I was already working for her company. <laughs> and I spent the 15 minutes that I had with her showing her my Johns Hopkins videos. And also throughout college, I was on the Today Show a handful of times. So I had live TV clips. So I was just showing her everything I've ever done on camera. And a few months later, she became the COO of Refinery29. Well, that worked out well for you. It worked out well. Let me tell you, networking, mm-hmm. always a fucking positive. Yep. And never burning a bridge. Like Absolutely. Two things. You never know where these people are going to end back up. Ever. Yep. So at Refinery, you hosted, what was the name of the show? Try Living with Lucy. Okay. And Lucy for Hire. Wait, but is that when you did the like challenge? That was the five day challenge series. Okay. And so what? You would just come up with these ideas of challenges and do like five days of them. Yeah. So I mean, I watched a few, but like, was that the con- the ideation behind it? Basically, I got hired to be a producer for them, which at a company like that, the producers often the one on camera because they just don't have the budgets to pay for both. And I was actually the first person they hired that had on camera talent in the in my job title. So while a lot of people ended up being on camera, I was the first video member that was like hired as on camera talent. So you said in a video recently that you feel like there's a Lucy 2.0. Mm. And I have said this many times about becoming a mom, I truly feel like I am a different human. I have two moments in my life where I'm like, oh, this there is a before and after. My car accident four years ago, I had a before life, I had an afterlife. And then... An afterlife. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And then having Liam, like, I truly believe that you change mm-hmm. physically, mentally, emotionally, everything. 
So what do you feel has changed the most within this like Lucy 2.0? Where do you feel the biggest difference? I think it's energetically, I feel like becoming a mom, I'm going to use the word rocked me, but I don't necessarily mean yeah, that and like I say a, that too. slam me into a wall, but kind of did. It did. <laughs> but I just mean like it, it felt, it made me feel so much different than I anticipated. I genuinely have thought about being a mom for my whole life. Like I always knew I wanted to be a mom and I have always thought about what's my baby going to be like? How am I going to feel as a mom? And I feel like I envisioned myself as a mom multiple times. And what I envisioned was the Lucy that I was before with as a, baby, a mom, mm -hmm. just like holding the baby. After he came, I just realized that it's, wow, I'm different. Mm -hmm. Everything is different. And I don't know if it's like the, the background noise of my life is different now. It's because I feel like I, and this is why I keep telling all my friends to wait until they're ready because yes, <laughs> I was ready, but I also did not know what was coming. I just didn't know how intense and heavy yeah. it was going to feel. I always saw babies and people that had babies as the most joyful 360 positive experience. And I remember I would go spend time with people that had babies and I would say, wow, that was the best hour of my day. And they get that 24 seven. Right. How Very different. And I didn't, I didn't know that was coming. Yeah. I feel like it magnified everything. And also in the same time, like zoomed in on what really matters to me. Mm -hmm. And that's it, everything now is put into perspective. It's, is this more important as important or way less important than spending time with Liam? I also anticipated that nothing would matter to me aside from him. Like I remember kind of feeling in a, in a good way, like, oh, I'm so excited when I have a baby, like my work stresses won't stress me out anymore or I won't have any trouble because I'll just have my baby. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of upsetting to find yeah. that I still stress about the same stuff. Well, I, I think like certain worries. things matter less because it's in perspective mm -hmm. and it's like this isn't actually worth my time of worrying. But then certain things matter more because when you think about work, for instance, it's like I'm actively choosing to do this right now instead of right. spending this time with him. So I want to be efficient because I want to spend time with him. Also, from a financial perspective, babies are fucking expensive. Yep. You want to be able to support them. You want to be able to provide this like life for them that you've always dreamt of and same with their future and all of those things. So like it does put more of a pressure on those things. So I do feel personally that form of pressure because it's you know if i'm deciding to work i you have to you i have to make it worth it and that's a very real conversation that many couples have whether it's the male or the female like childcare is expensive i've sort of reframed for myself the the whole like dynamic of ha being half working and half momming because when i first was leaving when i was leaving my maternity leave and i was like going back to work i had like a half a day panic where I was thinking about wouldn't my life be so much easier if I just wanted to be a full-time mom and I didn't have work ambitions and I could just say like this is what I want to do all my friends and family know that this is what I meant to do and I can really just dive into one mm -hmm. instead of feeling this like half in half out I'm giving half my attention here and half here which means no one's getting my full attention wouldn't it be easier if I could just say like either I want to do this or that and I, for about a day, I was like, let me, let me think if I want five days a week help or like, 
I wasn't ever actually thinking, do I want to not go back to work? But yeah. I was just upset that I didn't feel that way. And then it hit me that actually the situation I'm in, at least for me and my interests, feels like I got not like the shitty end of the stick, but, but I got like possible. the best of the best because I could see myself in a world where I chose to stay home feeling incredibly creatively deprived and feeling like all I want to do is focus on myself. I could also see myself in a job where I don't have any freedom feeling so miserable that I have to go in every day mm-hmm. and just crying and pumping in the closet and being like, I wish I was home. And how lucky that I have this job that I can craft this three-day-a-week situation and still work Mondays and Tuesdays during his naps. But just how lucky that I can actually do both and truly trust that all the time when it's a work day and I'm doing work, that's making me a better mom. And when I'm spending time with Milo and I'm all in on him for those days, that's making me more creative and refueling me for work. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right. And I think I struggle with the same thing where it's really easy for me to get in my own head of being like, oh, I'm not able to do anything like I used to. Or like, I mean, I definitely have gone through periods of do I want to stop working and be a full stay-at-home mom? Full transparency financially, that's not in the cards for us. Mm -hmm. And for many, it's not, you know, and for many, it's the opposite. You know, it's so interesting because this whole stay-at-home mom concept, you see it on TikTok, unfortunately, because people are ruthless, Mm -hmm. where people will like attack someone for being a stay-at-home mom. Like, oh, you're so privileged, the fact that you get to do this. But in reality, a lot of people are forced into being a stay-at-home mom because childcare is so expensive. Yeah, a lot of people that, like, that you're not brings actually, them more wealth as a family. Right. You're not making right. enough money in a corporate setting, for example, to cover childcare. Mm-hmm. So like some women or people do not have that choice. So I feel incredibly privileged that I have found this weird, confusing, whatever it is, middle ground where I do get to do the same thing where I spend time with Liam and I get to work and I get to add to our like financial situation as a family and all of those things and have an outlet outside of him. That being said, I do, I don't know, emotionally I get really confused some days because some day, like I have a very hard time and this is a me thing. I get jealous that other people are spending time with him. The people who care for him, whether it be my mother-in-law, my mom, or our sitter are three of the greatest people in the world. They treat him like I mean, he's an extension of yeah, them as well. I don't want anything He else. loves them. Couldn't dream of a better situation. However, I think because I'm still in the same apartment and that's why I'm excited to one day move to the suburbs and like have some more space. I'm like, I would rather be doing that. Like yep. when I see it. That's I hear what's that. Hard for me. I hear that. And I, I definitely get sucked in when I hear his voice in the totally. living room. I just like drop whatever I'm doing and run out and I want to kiss him. But I also, and I feel this way about you too. I feel like it's the nature of our jobs. It's so unique that the fact that whatever our personal lives are calling us to do, we can share Mm -hmm. and that's our job. Let's talk about the transition to motherhood. This is actually a listener question and I think it's an interesting one to discuss. Mm -hmm. What went into your decision to share Milo? And like, was that a conversation between you and Michael? Is that a continuing conversation? What did that look like? So it was something that was very top of mind for us early on. And, you know, as we were talking about before we turned on the microphone, Michael is very private. He has an Instagram, but it's very few photos of him. And he doesn't even really use social media. 
aside from supporting me, (laughs) we talked about what we want to do because there was a part of me that wanted to just say, I'm not going to share him at all. And then there was another part of me that was like, okay, realistically, my job is so entangled with my life. And Mm -hmm. I am very cautious about not sharing the private details of people in my life that don't want to be shared. But obviously with the baby, they can't tell me that. Mm -hmm. And so, and Michael kind of opened my eyes to this early on because he framed it like this. He said, if social media were a thing when we were babies, and if, you know, both of our moms were influencers and your mom shared you and my mom shared me, the way you are naturally as a person, you probably would be really pleased that your mom did that. You probably would say, thank you so much. This fits with my personality. Like, I love that I grew up on your social media. He said, if my mom did that to me and like shared so much about my life, I just the person I am intrinsically, I don't think I would be as happy with it. I don't like getting stopped in the street. He's like, I already feel weird when your followers come up to me. And (laughs) so I think that in my mind, there's like kind of a an age line where I, first of all, I do feel like as every year passes, he will become less and less prevalent Mm -hmm. on my platform. And you will probably revisit the conversation with Michael and eventually with him. When he's going to school, like I'm already really conscious of not sharing like detailed descriptions of where we're located or where we go. When we travel anywhere, I don't tag, geotag the place until we've left. Mm -hmm. Or like, I just, I'm just really... As you should be. Yeah. Yeah. And I have always been that way. But I also don't, I try, you know, honestly with my career, like I would be more, I'm not that I'm like actively nervous, but I'm more nervous for myself (laughs) as like a woman adult than Mm -hmm. I would be for like just showing some photos of him. That being said, I can see myself as he gets older, phasing it out. And one thing I was very clear about from the start, which like you tell me how I'm doing with this because I Mm -hmm. want to be held accountable. Although I know my platform was going to shift to like motherhood content because I'm now a mom and it's that's what's top of mind for me. I never wanted my Instagram feed to just be like my baby all over. Yeah. And I don't think it is. And I, I don't think it is. I felt the same way where I had such a like push and pull with this concept of like, I'm a mommy blogger. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I saw someone comment, like someone was sharing like, oh, my favorite account. She's to like, follow. you're my favorite mommy yes. blogger. And it literally was a fucking knife to my oh, heart. Man. But I was like, I guess That's I you am. Because we have a stigma with the word. Totally. Which is a whole other yeah. issue because it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. But I also, when I interviewed Katie Couric, she was in her book, she said like she struggled with intrusive thoughts in her postpartum and she said in the book, and I was listening to it on audio, that mommy bloggers of today's world would have made her feel so much less alone because they're having these conversations. Mm -hmm. And that to me was like, wait a second. And then I talked to her about it when I interviewed her and I pulled the clip that I literally replay when I questioned myself of her because she follows me and consumes my content and stuff and like encouragement on this. And I felt such a push and pull of, do I want to share only mom stuff? Am I sharing no mom stuff? Like, but it's, it's who we are now. It's Mm -hmm. what we're going through. And my whole thing is like, I try to share what I'm experiencing and people are either going to relate to it or not. That's something that they have to decide. I can't make myself relatable to anyone. Relatable doesn't mean anything. Fucking don't even get me started on that. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. I had the same push and pull and who knows what the next few years will will hold for my content. But what are your questions? Did you have questions? Well, I also know that you, I kind of abide by this like 
law that you have once shared that I agree with, which I know you have shared, Liam, occasionally Mm -hmm. when it feels right. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I go about it every day. I think it's going to be an ever-evolving in-the-moment decision. Yes. With this being said, one of the reasons I choose not to share him is because I have felt over the past year or so violated in the context of trolls. And we talked about this over text. Um, You infamously actually got on a Zoom with one of your trolls. I did. My fucking dream. Like you have no idea that is a dream to me. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, how did you get her to agree? (laughs) Literally how? What did that look like? Okay. I woke up one morning, opened my Instagram, and it was just comment after comment after comment of attacks Mm -hmm. on every photo in the past year. I had that recently. So I started by – I went to delete a couple of the comments because I was like, I don't need this in my space. Instead of responding to the comments, I DM'd them Mm -hmm. and I – actually said, I'm so sorry you're hurting. No, I know. I mean, like, that's yeah. just so No, yeah. I, said, I'm, I said, I'm so sorry to see, seems like something rough is going on in your life. Which and is I'm sending true. you so much love. Like, they are hurting. Mm-hmm. There's no denying that. Happy yeah. people are not doing this. And I can speak from a She got upset. Yeah, of course. She got upset. And, you know, how dare you question my mental health? That's so wrong, whatever. And I said, listen, it sounds like you have a lot of feedback for me as a creator. A lot of the comments were, you know, some of them were just generally trolling comments, but some of them were actually like just mean stuff about like the font on my website or like (laughs) just general comments about my brand. So I said, sounds like you have a lot of advice and insights. I would love to get on a Zoom call with you if you're interested. And I was waiting for her to go to ghost me. And mm-hmm. just go radio silent. Because I tried this and it, it, of did, course, not, no one it did not work out that. in a Zoom. By some crazy grace of God, she responded and said, I would love to. What was the demographic of this person? Age? She was about a few years older than me. So like early 30s, white woman that lived in somewhere in the middle of the country. Okay. We opened the call in this kind of awkward like, hi, how are you? How's your <laughs> quarantine going? <laughs> How have you been doing other than trolling like me? It, we both knew there was a huge elephant right. sitting on top of us. And so I was just kind of waiting for her to bring it up. I know we both know why we're on this call. I saw the comments you were making. You know, what do you – what's going on? Do you have feedback? Like I'm always receptive to hearing from people, but it didn't seem the forum you were writing it in was conducive to feedback. So like what's going on? She first tried to get out of it in a very not genuine way. She started being like, I really cared about your brand and I felt like I could help because your your font was wrong, (laughs) whatever. It was about my courses online and the way the copy was on the website, whatever. And I was like, we both know that this is – I don't really think this is about my copy because the other comments were not related. Mm -hmm. And I also said, by the way, if that was your way of trying to get hired to fix my copy – you should have just submitted like a resume because I would never <laughs> yeah. I would I would have considered hiring you to fix my copy if you sent me an email that said here's what how totally. I can fix your copy, but I'm never gonna hire someone like you have to know that you're not gonna get yeah. hired from being from being a troll. So then she took a minute and the next thing you know, she's crying. Tears are pouring down her cheek and I'm like kind of sitting back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really glad we're recording this right now so I can go back and listen because I'm now in like a fog. Right. And she basically was like, listen, I moved away from my family and have no relationship with my family. I'm going through a really horrible breakup. 
I'm going through a lot of mental health stuff. Just started seeing a therapist, but it's not good. And I'm recovering from an eating disorder. And my relationship so went a lot to of shit. Triggers. I hate my job. I hate my job and I want to be creative. Basically, like every pain, every point that she had made that was something going wrong in her life was something that I had at some point shared was a positive in mine. Right. And as she was talking, like I just started to really feel for her mm-hmm. and understand and truly understand why her brain told her that if she wrote that stuff, she would feel better. And isn't that so interesting for you? Because when I watched your TED, uh, TEDx talk mm-hmm. on this, which I'll link in the show notes, like I always can tell myself this, right? And I truly believe that it's all a projection. And I can look at myself when I used to consume certain creators that I hated. I would like hate follow them mm-hmm. just so I could like send it to my friends and yeah. be like, look at this fucking bitch. <laughs> like I was not happy with my own life. Right. I was jealous and of what they had. And now you don't do that. I have not done that yeah. in like – and there are three main people I used to do it to. Couldn't tell you – what the hell they are up to because I don't have time to care because I'm happy. Yeah. And it's so it's so obvious, right? When you're not the one being attacked, it's so fucking obvious. Like if a friend comes to me about it, I'm like, dude, that is such a projection of their shit. Right. But it's hard to remember when you are the person being attacked. I want to quickly jump into a topic that is relevant to this in my terms, but we both struggled postpartum mm-hmm. with losing more weight than we would have liked to. Oh, yeah. We forgot to talk about that. Yeah. And accidentally Mm -hmm. being in a smaller body and we both have a thin privilege genetically and just who we are in our genetic makeup Mm -hmm. but for me personally I not purposefully lost a ton of weight and it was confusing to me because everyone was commenting on how amazing I looked especially like shortly after I would say months like four or five. Oh, you don't even look like you had a baby. Oh my God, you're so thin. Oh my God, how'd you lose all this weight? And I'm like, I am literally the most depressed I've ever been, like having the darkest thoughts I could ever fathom. And right. you're commenting on how good I look. Like, why aren't you asking me how I am? Mm-hmm. And then I think I got better, but I just I hit a point where I went to my doctor and I was like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. I don't know why I've lost this. Who's much my weight. doctor too? Oh yes. <laughs> Shout out Dr. Kabal. Yep. I did some blood work. And then I decided to work with a dietitian, obviously like trigger warning on weight discussion, but I ended up gaining 10 pounds back and now feel the most comfortable and confident in my body. And I'm very happy. Personally, I'm so grateful that I'm in a mentality that I'm in now and this didn't happen four years ago because I would have been like, oh, I fucking love this. Let's keep going. Right. And I'm really grateful that body stuff, food, all of that doesn't even take up brain space for me. But it is very confusing to experience this when it's not the quote-unquote common postpartum experience and it's kind of in this public platform and it brings up a lot of emotions for people. So what has this experience been like for you? So my whole life, going back to genetics, anyone out there who knows my mom, she doesn't post on social media. No, but, but you've shared My her mom has the same frame. My twin sister is two inches taller and skinnier than I am. Like anyone that saw my body would know that this is just like my family's build. And I spent a decent part of my childhood actively trying to put on weight. Actually, like at some point, I think we were just we realized like, okay, we're underweight, like as far as the average is concerned, Mm -hmm. but it's not unhealthily underweight. So at some point we kind of stopped. But when we were really young, we went to doctors to try to like put on weight. And I we were just always told we have a fast metabolism. I actually remember being diagnosed, not diagnosed. What's the word? given as a prescription. Mm-hmm. Nightly, you must have a milkshake <laughs> every night. Talk about a fucking dream Talk prescription. Talk about the 90s and the doctors yeah. and what they were prescribing. But of course, like 
I could have eaten a whole row of Oreos every night and I was not gaining weight. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, growing up, I think now reflecting on it, I realize what like a privilege it is from a societal standpoint right? to have been in that body and to have constantly been getting people telling me that it, it looked good as far as society goes. But from my standpoint, there was also there is also the reverse of it, which is hard to complain about when you know totally. what most people go through. But I do get a decent amount of people that are underweight as well that write to me and tell me that like I'm validating how they felt growing up because it's also not fun to be told eat a cheeseburger mm-hmm. all day when you have eaten plenty of cheeseburgers that week right. and it didn't do anything for you. And like some of my earliest before my YouTube really got to know me and got to like my refinery YouTube audience yep. got to know me and got to realize that I was like a big eater and loved food and whatever. Before that, I definitely dealt with just like the earliest comments that were just clearly Gross. about this girl is anorexic. She must be yeah. throwing up. I remember one of my earliest comments was just a link to an anorexia help hotline, which is like trippy for me because I was like, so confused. I think I'm eating all I want. Like, well, am I starving? So like, this what? This is so interesting because this is something over the past month or so that's been really eye opening for me. And I talk about this with my therapist where I'm like, I feel the best I've ever felt in my relationship with food and my body in the sense that I don't actually care. Mm-hmm. It's very confusing to me that simultaneously that has resulted in a f- smaller body than I once had. I'm also confused because a lot of the commentary on my body, I'm like, or, or, d- I've always kind of looked like this. That's where I'm a little at a loss. Like, yes, obviously I was pregnant and I had Before gained weight, this. but it's confusing because there's a small like some of these things make you question like, wait, am I missing out on like, I know they don't know the truth. You know the truth. But the weight stuff is very confusing to navigate. Mm-hmm. And I, I genuinely, I feel lucky to say this, but I have, I never thought about weight growing up. It did not cross my mind because I'm telling you I ate anything I ever wanted and pretty unhealthfully at that to no physical change. Right. But I definitely went through, you know, I, I I just went through my whole life, like not thinking about it at all. And postpartum, I had a strange situation because pre-pregnancy, like I came off the pill a few months before getting pregnant. And in those few months, that was when I was diagnosed celiac. And I was before I got the diagnosis, I was at my lowest, lowest weight and knew something was wrong because my stomach was like screwed up every every morning. And I basically cut out gluten and within two months got pregnant and started gaining healthy weight for my pregnancy. And so then postpartum, I would say like coming home from the hospital, I was already like, I don't know, maybe I was 15 pounds over what I was at, but I gained Mm -hmm. like in the 30 pounds during my pregnancy. And so I maybe lost 15 pounds in the hospital. And then when I got home, definitely thought for a hot second that I like went up in a size and everything. Like I bought all new jeans and I was like, oh, I went up in a jean size. And I actually thought it was mostly my hips Hips. getting wider. But within, you know, six months of breastfeeding, it was just like I was ravenous all the time. And maybe it was that I didn't I didn't feel the appetite that I needed to sustain that or I being a busy working mom, I like genuinely don't think I was dedicating enough of my time to making sure I had the right type of nutrition, mm-hmm. which is why I also hired a dietitian right. and started strength training. And now that I'm done breastfeeding, like I, I really don't get on the scale because I feel good right now and I don't want to get on the scale and have 
a low number freak me out. Like I don't need to be stressed about. No, I agree. I mean, and I I fluctuate by like three to five pounds a day and night. And I don't think any of us should really be on a scale frequently. I know my number because of a doctor, but it's definitely it was something I was kind of secretly struggling with because I felt confused on how to share it. And then I saw you posted about Mm -hmm. it and, you know, you received incredible commentary and feedback. I don't think I got one. Which is amazing. Mean comment. And I've continued sharing because when I do, I get a lot of commentary being like, I feel like no one talks about this, but I experienced the same thing. And like, look, it's a fucking lot to go through. And everyone's pregnancy and postpartum experience is so different mentally, emotionally, physically, all of it. But like the combo for me of breastfeeding, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, carrying a freaking baby all day long, change in consumption just based on your routine, the stress of motherhood, change of exercise. Like that was how it equated and it wasn't what I wanted. But I think what's most important is that if you are experiencing something like this, that you do take the steps, Mm -hmm. which we both did. And I'm very happy. Agreed. And I think it's I think it's going to be a net positive at the end of the day. Agreed. No pun intended. Positive. I want to just quickly do two of the listener questions. Yes. What is your favorite part of being a mom? Ooh, truly, I love watching him learn things. And it's I, fascinating. It's fascinating. And it's like reigniting in me. Like it's kind of reminding me how we as people learn things. Totally. Our nanny is fluent in French. That's her first language. And so she's speaking French to him all day. And I'm learning French alongside him. He now, it's the cutest thing. She says, I don't know if I'm going to say this with the right accent, but she says, applaudi, and he claps. And it's like the fact that he learned that, it's like I learned that alongside him. So now I understand how his brain made that connection because she said it so many times. Right. That's like a sign language. Like I didn't know signs. So that's that's been fascinating. And I also, being with Michael for now, I don't know, 14 years Mm -hmm. since high school, it's just crazy that we we've talked for so long about what this thing was going to be same and the fact that we had 14 years of sex that could have resulted in a baby but it was this egg and this sperm that led to this child just thought about this is crazy crazy we act- you actually said something i said similar it in my in podcast. podcast yeah because it's like that one egg like I was know. liam and it's like it obviously any baby i would have been feeling this way about i hope but when I look at him, I'm like, you are – some angles, he's 100% me. Some angles, I see so much of baby Michael. And it's like, I just can't believe that our baby is on the earth. I agree. I'm like, we he's here. need this. We made it. And the other listener question that I'm curious, where do you see yourself in five years? Living in the suburbs <laughs> as well. Same. But no, where do I see myself? I I would really like to expand my digital business to a bit more of a traditional route while keeping the digital side alive. I've always wanted to host a show. I don't know what show. I don't necessarily have the same ambitions as I once had in terms of like the type of show. And now being a mom, I don't want to be traveling. Mm-hmm. I don't, I want to be like in New York and potentially in a studio, but I would love to host a lifestyle show. Same. And I would love to just continue to expand my business into the directions that I find interesting, like the I'm really into the education about content creation and I sell courses and masterclasses for people, but I would also love for that to be a bigger part of my business. Like I would love to host workshops and do speaking engagements and be in front of people and teach and like ideally create content for brands in a a bigger capacity than I'm Mm -hmm. doing now. Like I would love to create 
branded content that is living in other places aside from my own channels and right. feeds, but that is potentially on television or on their what I'm back to my refinery days of I yeah, want to be on Facebook. Like, I'm gonna do it all and then put it out there. Yeah, like I, I would love for my social media platforms to become as editorial as possible. And I understand listen, I'm the first person to support sponsored content because not only do I know that it is the way to make money, but I also enjoy doing it. I would just prefer to be doing it and letting brands run it as ads rather right. than it clogging up my story that I'm telling of my real life. Totally makes sense. For people who want to support you and want more of you, where can they follow you? I would say YouTube at youtube.com slash Lucy B. Fink. Also Instagram and TikTok. It's also at Lucy B. Fink. And I no longer have a Patreon community, but I also I do have a pretty great website that I'm obsessed with that is like my whole brand Your ethos hub. and hub has all my video content, has ways that you can connect with me one-on-one. I offer one-on-one coaching and consulting for people that want to be content creators or video producers. I do like private editing classes virtually. And so anyone can reach out to me in the contact section there. What's your website? <laughs> LucyFink.com. L-U-C-I-E. Everything will be Wait, in the and show. also, oh, yeah. okay, oh. everyone must know, for everyone listening to this, who's an avid Cam, Cam fan... This girl says she's a recovering bitch. <laughs> and I don't understand how. Because, I mean, I didn't know you in your days. You're so sweet. But, like, you guys don't understand. She is the nicest soul. You make me want to cry. Seriously. like, Thank you, Lucy. I just, I meet a lot of people in the content creation space. And I'm not always, like, drawn to people. <laughs> me either. <laughs> We're also, what is maybe, we didn't even touch on it. But, like, what's maybe worth saying is, like, we are wildly different as people. Yes. Very. I've never smoked anything in my life. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I love that that is my main character, main character trait is that you do smoke weed. I was going to say you do weed. <laughs> okay. okay. I've literally never smoked anything. I've never put a drug in my body because I am scared of like feeling out of control. Totally I makes sense. had like a minor panic attack once getting laughing gas for my wisdom teeth removal and like don't ever want to feel <laughs> disconnected to my body. But I'm also, like, fascinated by psilocybin. I, we talked a little yeah. bit about mushrooms. And, like, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll do it with you. But yeah. I'm still, still, like, that's not me at all. But the fact that I feel so connected to you is such a testament to, like, the fact that online, the way you open up, you look so much like your sister right now. <laughs> the fact that you open up is, like, it's amazing the way you open up and are so authentic. And I'm sure everyone listening is, like, thank you. That's why they come back to this podcast and, like, that's why every Wednesday I'm excited because, like, I just get to sit and listen to my friend. You're so sweet. But, like, you as a human are so genuine. I can't imagine you being mean. Thank you so much. I can't. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I did some bad shit in my life. Some of it was projected onto me. Some of it was my own actions. I take ownership for that. But I also think I've changed a lot. I mean, a lot. I just feel like we're watching – we're watching like the human experience unfold in your evolution. Yeah. Well, and it's fascinating. Literally, that is so sweet. I love you so much. Oh, You're amazing. You. I love having creator friends that I can talk to anything about. So, yeah. And you, we do reach we out do. to each other yeah. about work things, whether and it's baby things. connections, like, can you help? Can you do whatever? Um, You're amazing. You so, too. thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Freckle Thanks Pink Thanks for fam. having me at this amazing oh God, studio. She has a sick studio. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I have so much fun recording the show. It is my favorite part of my job and truly is what lights me up. 
Your feedback and response to every episode is what keeps me going. And if this episode resonated with you, please feel free to DM me over on Instagram or share on your stories. If you are looking for a way to support the show, please rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It means the world to me and it really helps the show grow. Please also make sure to hit subscribe so that you are up to date with new episodes coming at you every Wednesday morning. And of course, please be sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok at, at Cameron Oaks Rogers. I love you and I appreciate your support so much.